We are starting a series called Ghost. Is it up? There it is. Ghost. You're like, ghost? We can't talk about ghosts in church. We're going to talk about ghosts. We're going to talk about the ghost, the Holy Ghost. And we are digging into a series on the Holy Spirit. This might be uncharted territory for some of you. Some of you might think this is a little bit weird. You're like, I don't know about this. I've heard about churches that talk about the Holy Spirit, and they are strange. We're all strange. We're all strange. Whether you part your hair to the left or to the right, somebody else who does it the opposite might think you're strange. If you drive a Kia, you might be strange. If you're from Salmo, we probably all think you're strange. It is strange to talk about this concept of the Holy Ghost because it doesn't seem tangible. In North America, we like to scientify the Bible and we want to understand it through a lens that makes sense to us. And if we can't see something, we have a hard time understanding something. And so we don't usually dig into the topic of the Holy Spirit. And the churches that normally do haven't always done it great because they sensationalize certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, while other churches sensationalize lies, which means uh, dumb down or say this isn't for now or this died a long time ago. They sensationalize portions of the Holy Spirit. So we have some extreme teaching on either side regarding the Holy Spirit and navigating through the topic of the Holy Spirit can be a challenging topic. But we decided, hey, we're up for a challenge. Let's see if we can navigate through what it is about the Holy Ghost in the scriptures. And today I want to begin with this. Today we are establishing the authority and the supremacy of the Holy Spirit. You cannot talk about God the Father, you cannot talk about God the Son, Jesus, without also talking about the Holy Spirit. You cannot divorce one from the other. In fact, at the very beginning of the scriptures, we open up Genesis, and the name of God appears, Elohim, and it's talking about the incredible, incredible plurality of our singular God, and the Holy Spirit is part of that triune nature of the God that we serve. By the way, I should say, if you're new here and you don't know what I'm talking about, when we talk about God, we're talking about God who is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the lineage of the God that we worship and we serve. We don't worship uh, you know, a whole bunch of other types of gods. We don't worship gods of many other different names. We worship one God, and his name is Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai. That is the Hebrew and Hebrew roots of who our God is. If you need more details, come and talk to us afterwards and we'll fill you in. But we are talking about part of our God who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's interesting when we look at the Holy Spirit because Jesus tells us to wait. It says this, in Acts, before Jesus ascends, he says, wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Go to Jerusalem and wait for this thing that I am promising to you. I want to show you some pictures. Can we get the picture of the upper room? in Israel. I don't know, it should be in there somewhere. There we go. So this is the outside picture. We think, okay, the uh, disciples and the 70 other followers, they went to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the gift that the Father is going to give you. You won't have to wait very long. But a few days, Jesus says. So here we are, we're in Jerusalem, and this is the entrance to, the back entrance to this upper room that we hear about in the Bible. This is the back entrance to it. This is also the exact same location where they had the final supper, the last supper before Jesus was betrayed. And you can flip to the next picture. This is the inside of that very space. I don't know what you think about when you think about Bible times, but until like, I, you know, fi like finally being able to go and see it, I'm like, well, that's more modern than I expected it to be. It's pretty fantastic, pretty amazing. 
Now, there's been some fixing and, and adjusting be, d- during different times of upheaval and, and wars and bombs and breakouts, but this is more or less what we're looking at. They waited and they ate here, and this is also where they came back to and waited, and they rested in this place waiting for what Jesus promised them the helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, who would come and not only minister to them, work around them, but equip them for the very ministry that Jesus called us all to do, which is go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning place of where we see the church begin to erupt. The Holy Ghost is present throughout the entirety of Scripture. Today, at the beginning of the series, I want to establish who the Holy Ghost is, the authority that the Holy Ghost has, the personhood of the Holy Ghost, and what the Holy Ghost does in the life of the believer. And yes, believe it or not, the Holy Ghost does work in the life of the non-believer as well. And we're going to get into that. As we go through the series, we're going to address different aspects of the Holy Ghost. And the implications of the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives, in the life of the bride of Christ, which is the church, and in the world around us. We'll also be establishing the healthy and proper expectations that the church ought to have of the Holy Ghost. And we'll have a sober look from uh, and a firm equipping on what comes from the Holy Ghost and what it actually means for you, for the church, And for our world today, yes, church, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have surrendered to him, you ought to also have a full and proper understanding that the Holy Spirit is at work around you, within you, and through you, not just for your warm and fuzzies, but so that our world will also know who Jesus is. This is good. So before we start... Let's pray. Jesus, we give this day to you. We dedicate this service to you. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us through your Son, Jesus, and the life that we have, the relationship that we have because of his work upon the cross. And we thank you for the incredible gift and the equipping power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives and never leave us where you found us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you come onto this place today, that you work in hearts and lives this morning, and not just here, and not just for the next hour, but for the rest of the week, for the rest of the year, well into the time that you, Jesus, decide to return for us. So, Lord, we just give this time to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I told our staff and, and our team this morning that I am nervous about this series. I'm nervous. A couple reasons why. I've sat under very bad teaching about the Holy Spirit, historically. I've also sat under very good teaching about the Holy Spirit, historically. I have seen gifts of the Spirit worked well and I have seen gifts of the Spirit worked very poorly. I have seen things declared to be of the Spirit of God but they do not line up with the scriptures at all or nor do they show the character of God at work and and it's caused hurt and splits and brokenness and people to run far from the love that is God's love for us. This makes me nervous because I have a responsibility on my shoulders. Jesus says that it is better for you to go and kill yourself than it is for you to lead any young ones astray. I am nervous about teaching about this topic poorly. Why specifically this topic? Because the Holy Spirit is who we have in our lives today at this moment until Christ returns for us in glory. And if I 
teach or our staff teaches or anybody on our team teaches about this topic poorly, we will pour judgment out upon ourselves as we push people away from the truth and the reality of who God is. I'm nervous about this. And you might say, well, Pastor James, don't worry. God forgives. And yes, I'm very aware that God forgives. I'm very aware that God works through me in spite of my flaws and challenges. But I take this very heavily because I know what improper teaching of this subject does. It caused me to run from God for a long time. It caused me to have an improper and unhealthy understanding of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and through our lives. So I'm nervous about this. And I should be. And we should all take this topic very seriously. Even though we might not fully understand it, we ought to take it very seriously because the Holy Spirit is real. The Spirit of God is real. You can't say that you believe in Jesus and not also believe in the power and the authority and the might of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit affects you today. So as we dig into this, I want to start with the end. Okay, it seems backwards. I want to start at the very end. Okay, so I want to start in Revelation chapter 22. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who has ears, uh, let the one who has ears, let him hear, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and the one who desires to take the water of life without price This is the spirit and the church calling. The spirit and the bride. You see, the spirit is with us, working in us. We are the bride of Christ. The bride is the church. And we call upon and expect Christ's return for the church. You see, as the spirit of God works in us and through us and ministers to us, this also spurns on an understanding that we need Jesus. I don't know how many of you in this past year have hit those moments where you've prayed like you've never prayed before for for Jesus to return. I thought old saints were nuts when I was young. Why do they always pray for Jesus to return? The world's pretty good. Life is pretty awesome. I like my cars and I like to eat fast food. Everything can't get better than it is right now. This is why I'm young. I'm in love. Life is so good. And, you know, you get married for a few years and you're like, Jesus, I'm ready for you. No, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, I should be worried. I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous. You know, I used to hear the old saints praying for Jesus to return. And now here I am. I'm praying, Jesus, we need you. We need you. Our world needs salvation. Our world is broken. The Holy Spirit gives us the wherewithal and the understanding to even call out for Jesus. It says in Revelation chapter 1, 4 to 8, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. And we see these different expressions of the Spirit. And it's interesting, at the very beginning of Revelation in chapter 3, it's talking about the seven spirits that are with God the Father and God the Son. And it's actually interesting, those seven spirits don't mean seven different spirits. They're the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit that are present upon different churches in the end times. It's pretty amazing, actually. And we've kind of misunderstood this a little bit, but these are the seven manifold expressions of the Holy Spirit. And it's underpinned by what we see in Isaiah 11, Zechariah 4, and this is the Spirit's manifold life and presence for the churches outside, outlined in Revelation, but we also see that the Holy Spirit offers and gives different expressions or experiences of who he is and what he does to different people or to different churches or within different movements. This is important to understand. It's not always going to look exactly the same. As we look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, how the Holy Spirit dealt with or ministered to those churches is different between every single church, yet it's the same Spirit working within each of those seven different churches. And we can also extrapolate from this what we see in Isaiah, what we also see outlined in Joel and Zechariah, that there are different expressions of the same Spirit. This isn't a bad thing. It's called the manifold witness of the Holy Spirit. And we see the manifold life 
of the Spirit exist in the churches, but we also have the manifold presence of the Holy Spirit existing in our lives today. That's why Paul says some of you are going to have different gifts. Some of you are going to speak in different languages. Some of you are going to be able to pray for healing. Some of you are going to be able to have gifts of wisdom and knowledge. There are different expressions of the same Spirit. Manifold is a great way to understand this. What does this mean? Well, think about mechanics. You got an exhaust manifold on your vehicle. One engine, different expressions coming from each of the cylinders, all gathered together through the ports into one exhaust that comes out the end. Seven, or in a six-cylinder engine, six different expressions coming together into one through the manifold, and it sends out, and it is brought together, collected. That is the manifold of the Holy Spirit. It is bringing all these things together, one spirit. Very interesting. Being, it's, it's defined as being diverse or having variety brought together into one. And it says here in Isaiah chapter 11, the Holy Ghost will rest upon Jesus, which manifests wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, revelation, and fear of God. One spirit manifesting in different ways. Not a bad or a scary terminology. We're not talking about manifesting demons. We're talking about seeing the spirit of God manifesting in different areas. So this is real. This is true. This is what we see at the end of scripture as outlined what we can have an expectation for as we peer forward into the times ahead. But as we establish a bit of what that looks like at the end, let's take a peek at the very beginning. Let's look at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, it says, The Spirit of God moved upon the waters, and the earth was formless, void, dark. The Spirit of God was present here, even in this interesting waiting time. This is before all of creation began to happen. This is the preamble before God said, let there be light. Prior to this, the Spirit of God was even present here in the midst of this ruin and desolation and blackness. And out of God's grace, His Spirit was over the world, even in its time of wait. What that also means for you today is the Spirit of God is over the church even as it is in a time of wait for Christ to return. It sounds a lot like how we are presently waiting for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is here with us by the grace of God while the earth that we live in right now is chaotic. It seems formless. It appears dark. We, we, we all tend to be waiting for the light. When will the clouds break? When will it be okay? Even in the midst of all of this, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is present. And as we unpack this through the rest of the scriptures, we see some amazing things. It says in John chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Jesus is saying this, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he is going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is equipping the church as we see in scriptures. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be your equipper. He will bring to your mind the things that Jesus has taught us. It goes on in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And it goes on in John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying, guys, ladies, pay attention. It is to your advantage that I leave because if I leave... If I don't leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. 
I like that Jesus actually teaches about the doctrine of the Trinity in these passages and we have to take the Holy Ghost seriously because the Holy Ghost is of God, of Jesus, and the three are one. And I like that it says here in John 14, the helper whom the Father will send. And then in John 15, the helper comes when I will send him to you. And John 16 says, I will send him to you. Jesus teaches about the doctrine of the Trinity right then and there without even saying it. He says, me and the Father are one. The Holy Spirit comes from us. I am sending him to you. Why am I talking about these pieces before I get into the rest of it? We want to have a structural, biblical establishment of the person of the Holy Spirit so that we know who he is, we know that he is one with God, of God, and from God, and we know this from looking towards the end of all things, as we read in Revelation, as well as when we look back to the beginning of all things in the book of Genesis, and now as we take an understanding as to where we are today, right in the middle of it all. That's right. We are in the middle of scripture and prophecy unfolding today. This is true. Jesus said to his followers, wait, wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait. The church went to Jerusalem. They gathered in the upper room and they waited. And it says this, do not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus says, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In that very room that I showed you pictures of at the beginning, in that very space that I had the opportunity and the grace to stand in, the landscape of the church and the mission of the church came to life. It didn't change because Jesus already established what it would be. Go out and make disciples, baptize those disciples, follow me. But the equipping of the church occurred when the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them the power of heaven to do ministry in a naturally supernatural world. I, I think it's so crucial to really begin to take the Bible very seriously. We might not fully understand everything that's written in it, and in fact, we might have a lot of hang-ups on some of the things that we read there. They might conflict with our understanding societally. We feel that maybe there's some challenge in there morally. But it doesn't change the fact that the Bible affects us spiritually. And for that matter, if we're talking about something, if, we're, if we have the audacity to come into a place on a Sunday morning when there are probably practically a ton of other things that we could all be doing and busy our lives with, we have the audacity to come into this place and gather and sing to something that we can't see and pray to something that we can't see. If we have the audacity to do that, then we must absolutely, unequivocally take seriously the word of God, especially in this area, because it's the Holy Spirit that brings revelation about the truth in the scriptures. We can't have one without the other. It's just not possible. We can try and we can try and we can try, but there are bad eternal consequences to separating out the two. I don't like that because it's not neat and cut and dry. Good. It offends me because it offends my flesh, which just wants to do what James wants to do. But if James just wanted to do what James wanted to do, he'd be doing a whole bunch of other things that are probably far from who God called me to be or what God asked me to do or the convictions that he has laid on my heart because it's just easier to do the easier thing. We, we cannot divorce 
The reality of the Holy Spirit at work in the church today, in your life today, right now in this moment, from what we see in the scriptures, we cannot separate those things. And we cannot divorce the work of the Holy Spirit from a healthy and proper Christian life. You see, the Holy Ghost works around you, okay, around you, works in you, and also works through you. The Holy Ghost works around you, works in you, and works through you. The Holy Ghost gives abilities and gifts that are beyond what is natural for us. This is also true. Our natural, sinful flesh has desires that are separate from God, but it is the Holy Ghost that actually convicts and changes our direction, and not only changes our direction, but transforms us internally. And as much as we will pass away on this side of the grave and our bodies will cease to exist, our souls are actually affected by the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit affects the seen things as much as he affects the unseen things. The Holy Ghost gives gifts and abilities that are beyond what is natural to us for, not just for you, so you can feel great all the time, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, we often desperately want the dessert of the faith. Who loves dessert? Bunch of liars, put up your hands, all of you. I need the Holy Spirit to convict you of lying right now. We love dessert. We love dessert. When we were in Israel, they had like the food that was out all the time, right? And there's like, you know, veggies and hummus and, you know, eggs and fish and all that. I'm like, where's that dessert tray? Where's that dessert tray? That is going to be good. And you know what? It tastes so good in the moment, but like an hour later, you're like, I've got no energy. I'm all sapped. I was carb, carb heavy in the wrong area here. I shouldn't have done it. And, and there's just all the regret, right? Like, why, why did I chase after the dessert and I didn't go for the main course? What's wrong with me? We want the dessert part of the gifts of the Spirit of God so often. And this is where some of the bad teaching historically has come into the church. We so desperately want the dessert of the faith. We want those gifts. We want to prophesy. We want to speak in tongues. We want to pray for healing. We want to do A, B, C, and D. Praise the Lord in Jesus' name. But none of us want to fall on our faces and say, God, I have been sinning. The very things I did last night put Jesus on that cross. We want all the good, fun things, and nobody ever wants to deal with the fact that we killed Jesus by our sin. No one wants to recognize the fact that it's out of that conviction that holiness is brought forward. Out of that repentance, that right relationship with God happens. We want the dessert, and none of us want to go through the main course. It seems boring. It seems pointless. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to repent? Why do I have to apologize? Why do I have to change my attitude? I just want all the fun things. And like spoiled brats, we call out to God asking for all the good. And meanwhile, he's in our hearts saying, you need to get right with me. Son or daughter, I love you so much that I'm going to make this uncomfortable for you. I don't want to, but you need to be uncomfortable. You can't go on killing yourself in the sin you've been living in. You can't do it. You can't keep chasing after the dessert and not deal with the health of the state of your life. You can't do it. And for a while, you might think, it works. Look at I can do all these things. God has given me great gifts. This is fantastic. You know what that's called? That is called the grace of God not killing you where you stand. That is called the grace of God not striking you dead. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's not fair. It's not fair. You know what's fair? We're all in hell. Don't talk about fair. Jesus took it all. Jesus took it all upon his shoulders. He took death and shame and guilt and sickness and sorrow. He took it all. Do you think that's fair? We didn't get what we deserve. Jesus took it all. You see, we want these things, but in our desire for our misunderstanding of the gifts, we have an unhealthy craving for, for power, 
for control. And in that, we can be susceptible to receiving things that appear to be from God, but are not. It's true and it's worth the warning because if our heart isn't right and we aren't responding to the first portion of what the Holy Ghost does as outlined by Jesus, then we can approach the desire for spiritual and supernatural things without first making sure our hearts aren't fully and completely surrendered before God. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's not a joke. And I know this can be a terribly hard topic because we never like to talk about sin. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you're like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. But then also some of, you, some of you are thinking that I actually wrote this sermon just for you and you're mad at me. And I'll tell you a secret. I didn't. I didn't because I don't know what you're dealing with in your lives. I just don't. If you're, if you're going through something right now, you're like, this friggin' pastor, he probably spent all week, sleepless nights, dealing with the ER and his heart problems and, and just writing a sermon about me because he hates me this much and he wants the whole church to know how much I don't like him today. Let me tell you a secret. I love you. But I don't care that much. It's a true story. I got other things going on in life. Got a daughter graduating, a grandbaby living at home. Like, there's things going on in life. I don't care to write a sermon to make you feel bad about yourself. If you're feeling bad about things right now, I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does that. If you're feeling something, this, listen to this. If you're feeling something this morning, you're like, oh, this is bugging me. Why is he making me think, think about things that I was doing last night? Why is he making me think about things that, that I was entertaining last week? Why is he making me think about those very things that I, I was doing six years ago or 10 years ago? Why does he keep bringing it up? What's this pastor up to? What's, is he trying to get me to give more money? Trust me, you don't give a lot of money anyway. <laughs> if I was looking to make some money, I'd go have a different job. What's his angle? What's he getting at? I'm getting at nothing. What God is getting at, is he getting at your heart? Church, your heart has eternal consequences. This is going to die. How embarrassing would it be to stand before God in glory one day, fully embodied in your spirit, and he looks at you and says, you had opportunity to deal with this, and you didn't. You had opportunity that Sunday to deal with this and you chose not to. It was burbling inside of you. My Holy Spirit was convicting you and you just closed your eyes and plugged your ears and hummed a song to go to your happy place rather than dealing with the very thing that separates you from God. Church, this is serious stuff. And to think that our Christian walk is not connected to something beyond what we can see is a fallacy. To think that the war going on in our world isn't a spiritual war first is a fallacy. If we have the audacity to pray for Jesus to return, think about how crazy this sounds. We have the audacity to pray for a person who disappeared into heaven. We're praying for him to come back down to earth and for him to save us all. How nuts does that, that is teetering on the edge of believing in aliens sounds nuts but if we're to take that very seriously let's take that a step further if Jesus is going to come back and he is going to convict and restore and heal and judge my God my God it's a serious it's a serious There's more of a supernatural component to you and to me in the world we live in than there is a natural one. How do we know this? The Bible is real and true. And in this, there are the establishments of how God works and how our world and our universe works. We know from the word of God that us 
and everything around us is only seen in part. We only know in part, and we won't know fully until we are on the other side of the grave. We also know that the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament are packed full of examples, histories, and battles that had nothing to do with flesh and blood, but rather were fought and experienced through the supernatural realm. We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but a battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realm. Spoiler alert, Satan hates you and he is a liar. He hates you and he is a liar. He will do everything in his strength and power to lull you to sleep, to let you think everything is perfect all the time and there are no issues. I will tell you the truth, we have so many issues and there is but one savior. And to know him, it is through a course of surrender and submission and acknowledgement. We need to repent. I was blown away when we were in Israel by this. You could put the picture up, the big, first of all, big zoomed out one. You could put that up on the screen. I was blown away when we were in Israel. No, the map one, you'll see it. Or the, no, first, do the first one where it's like the, the you know, zoomed in portion of the whole country. There we go. That's Israel on the map, okay? That is the red outline. I, you know, I didn't, you know, insert West Bank into there. You can use your imagination. Uh, but those are the borders of Israel. And the very bottom name you can see there, it says Bet Shean. It's about a, you know, a little bit lower than that we went. We didn't go to the farthest tip down. It's so small. It's so small of a country. Tiny. Zoom out. There's a little bit of a zoomed out view. It's very small. So tiny. So small, the most contentious plot of land in the entire world is right there, and it is so small. Zoom out again. I don't know if you can see it, right in the very, very middle, tiny little red dot. It is small. It is so small. Our entire faith and every portion of the scriptures is anchored to in and around that tiny little grain of rice-sized piece of land. Everything. Zoom out again. Take it over. This is British Columbia. That is Vancouver Island. It is smaller than Vancouver Island. That's Israel sitting on top of Vancouver Island. It is small. You're telling me you're telling me that there isn't a supernatural warfare component attached to that piece of land? How on earth can the entire world consider that the most contentious portion of land on the entire planet? There is so much land in the whole world. And this little spot? You're telling me that there isn't a supernatural component to our faith? That there isn't something more than what our eyes can perceive naturally? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realms, it says in Ephesians 6. With this understanding and with a need for the Holy Ghost, how does this affect us now? How does the Spirit of God affect us today? What did Jesus promise us? And how do we respond to this? What did Jesus promise us and how do we respond to this? Jesus said in John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Our world doesn't believe in Jesus. The vast majority of our community does not believe in Jesus. Sure, they might accept that he was perhaps a historical teacher or figure. But even in the church today, many people don't believe in Jesus. They accept him as a historical figure or teacher, but they don't believe in Jesus. The Holy Ghost convicts us regarding sin and righteousness 
and judgments. These are the words of Jesus telling the church, his bride, that the Holy Ghost will come to us. But listen to this. The Holy Ghost is going to come to us, but never leave us where he found us. Church, if you are here today and you have been a believer and you profess a faith in Jesus Christ, but your life hasn't been transformed, do you actually believe in Jesus? The Holy Ghost will never leave us where we are at. The only time we're left where we're at is if we ignore what the Holy Spirit is doing. This is uncomfortable because this means that we might have to admit that we have areas in our lives or our entire lives that are far from God. No one wants to admit it. No one wants to admit that we desperately need Jesus. We need salvation from our mess and we have been sinners. No one likes to talk about this. This is a terribly uncomfortable topic. We can all think of everybody else around us that are sinners. Because you're all thinking about them now. Like, oh, that's so-and-so. Wait till I see them at work on Monday. Tuesday, because it's a stat. Oh, but Monday's a stat about families. Oh, family. Oh, I'm not a sinner, but I can think of a few family members that are sinners. Never mind family. I know some people that I really hate, those sinners. And, and we're so comfortable with looking outside of ourselves that we rarely take those moments to be introspective and look at the reality of what we're actually being convicted of. What if I told you today that your actual eternity after you die is affected by the state of your heart today and how you've allowed the Holy Spirit to work in it? Well, the conversation changes differently because now this is real. You're all going to die, some of you sooner than others. True story. So I don't like it, but age is real. And here's the deal. We have to reckon with this. What is the state of our heart before God? If we have been convicted of sin, if the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin and our brokenness and our mess, if we aren't willing to say, God, I am so sick of who I am. I am so sick of who I used to be. I can't live in this anymore. I give this to you. I can't deal with this. This is the best part is he is our helper, our parakletos. He comes alongside of us and ministers to us even while we are lost and navigates us to safety. The Holy Spirit doesn't just kick us while we're down and say, that's it, you're out of here. He loves us enough to meet us where we are at, but we can never stay where we were. We cannot stay where we were. How will he engage with us first and foremost? Sin, righteousness, judgment. Concerning sin because the world doesn't believe in Jesus. And that means the Holy Ghost convicts us of sin so that, yes, we actually feel bad about sinning. So that we feel desperate about our sin. This is true and this is okay. So that we feel dead in our sin. God, I have no way out of this. I am dying from what I have done to myself. Yes, you are. So that we recognize that we need salvation from our sin so that we turn to the Savior who is Jesus. The Holy Spirit Spirit convicts us of sin so that we don't stay in sin. This isn't actually a bad thing because you know the only thing that gets hurt in this process? It's pride. If you come to my men's group, you know what pride is. Pride starts with an S and ends with a T. It's a four-letter word. You can think about it in your own minds. That is what pride is. Do you want that in your hearts? The only thing that gets hurt in this process is our pride. Repenting is humility because it means his ways are above my ways. So he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of righteousness because there is no righteousness except that of Christ. All of our attempts at righteousness fall flat in comparison to his righteousness. We all know those people that are like, if you eat this, if you dress like this, if you don't wear this, if you hold up this sign and you only read the King James Version of the Bible, you are saved. That is walking in your own righteousness. I'll tell you a secret. That's a one-way ticket to being separate from God for the rest of your whole life because you are trying to affect a positive change rather than saying, Holy Spirit, convict me. See, you're trying to do the good works and usurp the works of what Christ already did on the cross. What Christ did is the final work. He declared it is finished on the cross on Golgotha. He cried that out. It is done. There is no more. He completed it. And the moment we try to rein that in and make it our righteousness of what we can do and what we can perform, we will never meet the mark. 
That's how he convicts us concerning judgment and righteousness and finally concerning judgment. We will be judged. You all seen those really bad tattoos? Only God can judge me. No regrets on the back. Only God can judge me. Yeah, well, people can judge you too. Bad tattoos. Just judge you. We will be judged, and this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I, hate, I hate tests. It's like a thing with ADD. Any, any, uh, any, uh, any time that there's like the potential for scrutiny, it's like, oh, just kill me now, Jesus. Please kill me now. I would rather, I'll talk in front of people all day long. It's supposed to be like the number one public fear. It doesn't bother me one bit. I'll jump out of airplanes and off of bridges. Don't care. 300 kilometers an hour on a sport bike, all day long. Give it to me. Do a test, kill me. Because someone is going to evaluate something that I don't know if I did right or not. Terrifying. You want to talk about uncomfortable subjects for me to talk about? This is terribly uncomfortable. But we have to talk about it because it's real. We will be judged and we'll have to give account when the time comes for our actions and our inactions or our willful ignorance of who and what we worshipped, how we dealt with our marriages, how we dealt with our families, how we managed our homes, how we cared for the least of us, we will be judged. This is true and this is horribly and terribly uncomfortable, but yes, we will be judged by our great King, our Lord. Not only will we be, but our world will be. And it's this conviction of the Holy Spirit that causes us to change so that our wills become surrendered to the will of the Father. Our wills become surrendered to the will of the Father. Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I like this. The earth was formed and without void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Holy Ghost is present over the world, and the Holy Ghost is present over your life, even though it might seem without form, it might seem void, it might seem black, it might seem desperate, it might seem desolate. The Holy Spirit is over you right now, giving opportunity for the light of Christ to come into your life. The Holy Ghost has the power to shine light into your life and to fill the void in your life and to bring order to your life. And this is done in Jesus' name by the grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Josh, I'm going to ask you to come up and if you want to just play for a little bit in the background. uncomfortable sermon sometimes. I try to pepper some humor in, with a, in, in, in the midst of it. But, but here's the deal is our, our life on earth is so short. It is so, 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 so short. Terribly and wildly short. And, it's, and it's really easy. It's really easy to just go flick on the TV or watch a couple of Netflix shows or go and do something in the bush or or, you know, work on a car or whatever. It's easy to distract ourselves and, like, self-medicate from the reality of, of how short life is. It's super easy to do it. Like, we all do it, right? Like, how do I self-medicate to the reality of how short life is? I'm like, man, I'm going to take my truck up in the bush. I'm going to go get stuck somewhere. I'm going to have a great time. And I'll, I'll call it, like, time of prayer because I pray that the Lord will help me get unstuck in the forest. Right? It's like really bolstering my prayer life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Help my wife to not get too mad at me when I get home way too late. Praise the Lord. We distract ourselves from the reality that life is desperately and wildly short. Do you want to be at the end of your life before you realize that your life can actually start today? Think about this. Do you want another 30 years of your life to elapse living in distraction and distress when you could today have your life changed for eternity? Think about this. Do you want to just take and consume and, and, and continue to feast upon the very things that separate you from God? And until maybe 30 to 60 years from now, you're like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll figure it out now. 
Or do do you care enough today to say, I'm done with who I have been. I'm tired of what I've been up to. I am broken. I am tired of putting on the face that says, tells everybody I'm okay when inside I am just void of anything. I have no feelings. I have no emotions. I don't have a relationship with anybody, let alone God. Do you want to carry that on until you're 93 and hope that maybe you can figure it out at that point? Or do you today want to say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. Holy Spirit, thank you for loving me enough to convict me. I don't know how to fix this. I need you. Do you want to carry on from now until you're almost dead to really consider this? Or is today the day that you say, I need a new life in Jesus? I'll tell you a secret this morning. You're not the only one that is in this boat. You look around this whole room. We are all in the exact same place today. I I was preparing this morning and I was sitting in the room and I could barely keep it together because I'm totally convicted. Pastor doesn't sin. The pastor sins all the time. Terribly convicted, and I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think that maybe I did a little bit too much of this, drank a little bit too much of that, thought a little bit too much about this, looked a little too long at a little bit of that. I don't like to think about those things. And so it piles up and I don't deal with it and I don't want to consider it and I don't want to even look at it because it might make me less of a Christian and I have to maintain a a nice decorum so that everybody else can see how good of a Christian the pastor is. Do you think I love living in that state of denial? Because if I don't, I'm sure none of you do. But it is so uncomfortable to look at it because it means that I'm screwed up. It means that I've sinned. It means that I have been party to the very things that put Jesus on that cross. It means that my life is broken. It means that my heart is broken. You think I want to think about that? You think I want to think about the promises I haven't kept? I want to think about the horrible things that I've said to my wife? Do you think I want to consider the terrible thoughts that have entered into my mind, that I've entertained? Do you think I want to think about these things? I don't. It's so much easier to just be distracted and medicate against it. But I'm telling you, this morning I'm sitting in there with the worship team and it just wrecked me. I could, I could barely keep it together. I'm like, I got to hold it together. We got church in 10 minutes. We got church in 10 minutes. I got to keep it together. Church, we need Jesus. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, actually, I'm really thankful that it makes me feel terrible it actually makes the finite part of me feel terrible. The infinite peace, that's getting washed and cleansed. The soul, the cardia, the innermost part of my being, that gets transformed. Jesus says you must be born again. It means that part of me has to die. None of us like to consider that because it's shaped us and we come up with all the excuses of why our pasts are fine, no regrets, everything was a good opportunity. No, it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't. Some of it were mistakes because we make mistakes. Some of it was just plain old sin and we shouldn't have done it and we know we shouldn't have and we fought tooth and nail to avoid being convicted by God for these very things and we don't even want to go there. Do you want 
to live until you're 95 years old on that hospital bed, hooked up to an oxygen tube, just praying, God, why didn't I fix this sooner? Why didn't I come to you sooner? I had an opportunity and I just threw it away because I wanted to do my thing. Oh. But I'm hopeful. Actually, you know what? I'm terribly filled with hope. This is hard. And I know for some of you, this is really hard this morning. But sometimes it's the most uncomfortable things in our lives that help us grow the most. When Jesus says the beginning of what we see from the Holy Spirit is conviction. Some of us are working really hard right now to just push it all down because we don't even want to open up that lid. There is no safer place to open up that lid than right here. There is no safer place than right now to take a peek and, and crack that open and say, Jesus, I need you in the middle of this. It says in Acts chapter 2, which is actually a quote from the prophet Joel, who a thousand years before Acts was written said this, and in the last days it shall be this, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit they'll begin to prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone Listen to this. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Oh. Spirit is working right now. And what's amazing, how can I say this? Because it says, where two or more are gathered in my name. That means if there's only, only a couple of us here who are, who are walking righteously before the Lord, because there I am in your midst. He's working right now. For some of us, it's time to take out the earplugs and hear what he's saying to us peel back the calluses and actually feel what he is doing in us. To open up our eyes and watch and see what it is that he's convicting us of. He's doing this not because he hates you or wants to kill you. He loves you enough to begin healing and ministering to those very areas that have been so broken for so long. It's not a secret to him. Maybe that's the secret you need to hear today is it's not a secret to him. He already knows, he's just waiting. He's just waiting. He's not doing this to kill you, but rather to give you life. In fact, the Holy Spirit is convicting right now and he's, he's tapping on your heart right now to steal you away from the enemy who's tried to actually take your heart. If you don't choose today, if you don't choose today to bow down before the magnificence of God and surrender to Him, if you don't choose to repent, for the state of your heart and your mind and soul. Here's the problem is, is you're going to remain in that darkness. You will remain in the chaos. You will remain in the void. Just like we saw at the very beginning, the earth was formless and without void. 
You want your life to just continue to be formless and without void? Formless and, and desperate? Or is it time right now? Is it time right now to allow the Spirit of God to come upon you and say, let there be light? we want a time of prayer this morning you see prayer is the easy part because it's just usually just going and asking right God give me this God give me that God grant me this God grant me that you see it's just talking to Jesus that's a little bit different just talking to Jesus, that's a little bit tough. It's about being real with him. There's nothing more real than, than realizing that, wow, the Holy Spirit has convicted me here. At the very least, this morning, at the very least, at the very least, do not leave here without taking a moment to say, Jesus, search my heart. What do I need to deal with today? That's at the very least. But some of you, there's been some, some things bubbling on the surface. Maybe in, in those deeper spots, there's some stuff that you haven't dealt with. Oh, God doesn't remember that. He doesn't know about that. He remembers and he knows and he's waiting for you to give it to him. The word says, be excellent in what is good and be innocent of evil. And I think for a lot of us, especially in this day and age, we're really excellent at evil and innocent of what is good. Just take some time. Doesn't matter if you're on the tech team or in the worship team. You're supposed to be on a prayer team or taking care of kids or whatever it is. That doesn't matter right now. What matters right now is there is time being afforded to you to face the very things that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of. Please know it's not because he, he hates you. In fact, he loves you so much. He loves you enough to never leave you where he found you. Jesus isn't just an add-on. He is the whole thing. If you're feeling conviction, here's the deal. If you're feeling conviction, I want to I give you grieve today and hope. If you're feeling conviction, it doesn't matter what it is. Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know what? You sinned. Like, well, that's not even really that big of a deal, Holy Spirit. Well, if I'm highlighting it for you, it is a big deal for you. Well, I only, you know, lied on my taxes by a few cents. Well, if it's a big deal that I'm highlighting to you, it's a big deal for you. The Holy Spirit's been convicting you this morning not asking you to stand up and get it all out in front of everybody. What I'm asking you to do is take some time this morning. Whether it's in your seat or you need to find a place on the floor or you need to lay down. It doesn't matter. Maybe you just need to get it out. Just talk to him. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that that this was wrong in your eyes. I didn't even realize that what I've been doing all these years is, is not right. I didn't even know until today, I didn't even know until you showed me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's so, it's so easy. It's so hard. It's so easy to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. The words are so simple. It's letting the Holy Spirit into our hearts that tends to be the hard part. But if he's convicting you this morning, he loves you so much and it's time.
time to no longer be slaves, not trapped in the mess that we've made. It's time to have new life. It's time to be born again. It's time to die to ourselves. It's time to put the past behind us and press on towards the goal that is heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's time to be excellent at what is good and innocent of evil. It's time to have a renewing of our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's time to pray the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Lord, my sins are ever before me. Forgive me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. It's time to call out to him and realize that he is great and you are not. Boy, we've been in a bad spot. And it's that out of that contrition, that right state of heart, the Lord says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. I've just been waiting for you to open it up for me. I love you. I love you. and just to deal with it.